0: Today on the Josh Towner Show, we're talking about Chicago sports again. I had originally planned on going through my top five sports moments of 2018, but Fred Hoiberg got fired right before I was about to record, so now we're talking about that instead. Sports moments will be moved to next week, so on today's podcast, the Fred Hoiberg Show, and maybe a little bit about the Chicago Bears. Welcome to The Josh Towner Show. I'm Josh Towner, journalism student and now former staff writer for QNS. Yes, I finished my internship with the Queen's Courier, making me somewhat of an unrestricted free agent. I'm in my makeshift studio in Brooklyn. It is a Monday morning as this is an emergency Fred Hoiberg podcast. You might hear some construction noises as there is a whole slew of cement mixers on the street below me. Fred Hoiberg, head coach of the Chicago Bulls, was just fired this morning. Apparently he was walking in to lead the 11 a.m. practice this morning and he was promptly fired. It was very unexpected. He says he would like to coach again at the professional level. Hoiberg was in the fourth year of his five-year contract, meaning that if he doesn't get hired, we will pay him the remainder of his contract through next season. Over his three and a quarter seasons as head coach, Hoiberg compiled a record of 115 and 155, including a playoff appearance in his second season that ended in a first-round loss to the one-seed Boston Celtics. Assistant coach Jim Boylan has been promoted to head coach now, not on an interim basis, and it sounds like he'll be given a really good chance at securing the job moving forward as he is the permanent head coach at the moment. I would like to say, right off the bat, that firing the head coach as if the disappointing season so far is his fault is absolutely absurd. As of last week, the Bulls were second in the NBA for man games lost, meaning we were the second most injured team in the NBA. Laurie Markkinen and Wendell Carter, the alleged front court of the future, had played a total of 15 minutes or so together, and that was on Saturday. Chris Dunn and Bobby Portis are also nearing return from their injuries, to which they've been out for about a month and a half, I believe. So Hoiberg didn't even get the chance to coach the Bulls this year. Garpax handed him Cameron Payne, a guy named Shaquille Harrison, some loose change and an old gum wrapper, and then fired him when he won five games across two months. This just goes to show how little of a game plan this Bulls franchise has moving forward. I'm not totally sold on the Markin and Carter frontcourt of the future yet, as we've only seen them for like a quarter. I'm not sold on Chris Dunn as a good point guard, I honestly think he'd be better two-guard playing off of more of a facilitator and shooter. I don't know if Zach Levine is a legitimately good player, he looks like a good stats bad team guy. Jabari Parker is just straight up bad. I don't know what the Bulls are doing or where they're going. And firing Fred Hoiberg is very indicative of the front office scrambling to do anything. It doesn't really look like they know what they're doing either. I will now offer both a defense of Fred Hoiberg and point out where Jim Boylan, the new head coach, does provide an upgrade over Hoiberg. In the lone playoff season, Hoiberg took apparent locker room cancer Jimmy Butler non-primetime Rajon Rondo, and an incredibly washed Dwayne Wade to the playoffs. We didn't really deserve to make it that year, but we did, we scraped it out. And then Hoiberg out-coached Brad Stevens for two games. Brad Stevens, who up until this season, people were saying he's the new Greg Popovich, he can win with anything. Then of course, Rajon Rondo broke his thumb, and we lost the next four straight and were ousted from the playoffs, but for a brief moment in time, a little flash in the pan, Hoiberg was making it work. He looked like the coach that had been promised to us after he came from Iowa State. The Bulls then offloaded every good player on the team in favor of a tank, and that was reasonable. I agree that we should have started tanking there. And Hoiberg proceeded to lead us to the seventh pick for Wendell Carter Jr., who has looked really good so far. So I can't really assign Hoiberg any blame for those two years. He made the playoffs, and then we tanked. This year we were poised to tank again, maybe not be as bad of a team as we were last year, and then everyone got hurt and things have been just dreadful. Players like Chris Dunn, Bobby Portis, Laurie Markkinen, and Denzel Valentine have all missed considerable amounts of time. Valentine has been shut down for the season. Zach Levine was also sick for a couple of games. I mean, this Bulls team is a piping hot mess. And I... Don't think any of that is Hoiberg's fault. It's irrational and blatantly inconceivable to assign him blame for how poorly this season's going. Would he be the coach moving forward once all of our guys were healthy? I don't know, but I would have at least liked to see what he could do with all of these weapons that we're bringing back now. Hoiberg has also shown a knack for player development. He turned Denzel Valentine and Bobby Portis into helpful NBA players. He fixed Chris Dunn's jumper. He oversaw the best stretch of Nikola Miritic's career. He helped us get him traded for a first-round pick. He's also gotten useful minutes from players like David Nuaba, Antonio Blakeney, and Ryan Archie diacono How many of those guys have you heard of before? If we're a young tanking team, just working on collecting young prospects, don't we want a guy who has shown he can develop our players? I don't want to harp on Jim Boylan and make it sound like I'm against what he can bring to the table. And I'll get to that in a second here. But Hoiberg has proven he's got a track record of helping produce players better than when they came into the Bulls program. All that being said, Hoiberg is an offensive coach and really has shown no care for what we do on the defensive end, whereas Jim Boylan is a defensive mastermind, allegedly. Wendell Carter and Robin Lopez, our two centers, recently praised Jim Boylan for his work on the defensive end, claiming that anytime they had a problem or didn't know something, they would go to Boylan and he would tell them what to do. The Bulls are horrendous on defense, and putting Boylan in charge could help shore up the most porous defense in the NBA, particularly the most disgusting transition defense I have ever seen. It's awful. We have no idea what we're doing out there. However... It doesn't really help that Jabari Parker, currently averaging 32 minutes a game, has openly said he doesn't care about playing defense and that he's not going to do it. Look, I'm interested to see what Boylan will do for us. I expect to see a little bit more of Shaquille Harrison, who I jokingly mentioned earlier, and he struggled mightily on offense, but he's looked really solid on defense. I think Boylan can also help Wendell Carter get into less foul trouble, but at the same time why what does it matter who cares if we're awful on defense right now we're losing games and we're really trying to lose games we're looking to get a good draft pick not not win games with this just roster that's scotch taped together at the bottom line fred hoiberg getting fired does not make any sense to me we've been unbelievably injured in addition to being an already tanking team The Bulls are hurtling towards a high draft pick, and firing Fred Hoiberg should be more concerning than everything. I know there were a lot of Hoiberg haters out there, but you can't really fault him for not producing any great Chicago Bulls teams. We have no roadmap moving forward. Even if we get a highly touted prospect like RJ Barrett or Zion Williamson, what does that even do for us? The Bulls are still leading the league in attendance rates, which means the fans aren't giving up on the team. But a move like this tells me the front office doesn't even know what they're doing. I think it's time for Chicago to build another GoFundMe for a Fire Pax billboard. It just shows a lack of patience for something that the front office committed to, and it makes me think we're going to try and superglue some teams together like we did in Hoiberg's lone playoff season when we brought in Wade and Rondo and tried to do this three alphas thing with Jimmy Butler. All right, let's move on now from all of that to... Talking a little bit about Markinen and Carter playing together, there were two really good moments that I saw out of the albeit limited sample size we got with Carter and Markinen, but that was an encouraging two minutes. So the encouraging plays, there was a defensive possession where Markinen got switched out onto James Harden and then fed him right into Wendell Carter and suddenly the Bulls running in transition on the fast break that was just one possession but it showed where Markinen's inefficiencies on defense really help Carter excel on that end and then it flips on the other end of the floor where you see Carter who struggles a little bit more on the offense he hasn't really been getting to his spots on the floor as well but with Markkinen opening the floor up suddenly he's getting open shots inside and with a little bit of confidence for making those shots he started putting in buckets because you have to respect Markin out on the perimeter. I think I was a little bit antagonistic earlier I'm obviously frustrated about the Hoiberg firing and I might have overblown the the Bulls' young guy's situation a little bit. But moving forward, let's say we dump Jabari Parker, which I think all of Bulls' fandom is really just praying for. Uh, We'll offload Robin Lopez's contract, which, love him to death, but we don't really need him. And then suddenly we've got a pretty reasonable amount of cap space there. We've got a young core. We'll see what Levine looks like if he gets more people to help him out on offense. And we'll get whoever we get in this 2019 draft, which is looking like a pretty high pick right now. And we'll see what the Bulls assemble next year. I was pegging us for about the 35 wins this year, and after the way the season started, we're heading for something closer to 20, 25 wins. And I think next year will be the year we win 35 games. And that's not the most encouraging thing to hear, but you know, you probably don't have to watch us lose 60 games either next season. One last thing on the Chicago Bulls. I think we should trade for Markel Fultz. Yeah. I think we should trade for Markel Fultz. What do we have to lose? We can offer up, I don't know, Justin Holiday and a pick for Markel Fultz. We don't need Holiday. He's not going to be with our team moving forward, I don't think. He's a good perimeter defender and a three-point shooter, but let's be honest, the Bulls aren't going anywhere. And I would rather have a potential for a former first overall pick. Marco Foltz was the first pick in the draft last year. And while his shoulder thing has been absolutely baffling, and he looks really bad, he's not playing anymore. He says he's still injured. He fired his or parted ways with Drew Hanlon, the uh jump shot whisperer of the NBA, and he's now requested a trade. He's on a small contract. We don't have to give up much for him. I think he's only making $7 million, which means we'd have to give up something, either $6 million or $8 million for him. The asking price is interesting with the 76ers, but I mean, he doesn't want to play for them anymore. I think that'd be good for him to get some new scenery. Uh, Unless he's Jabari Parker bad, we're not going to hate on him too much in Chicago. And I think the reason we hate on Jabari Parker is because he's making $40 million across the next two seasons. Give me Markel Fultz. I was more confident in this idea when we had Fred Hoiberg, who could potentially help improve and rehabilitate him. But I don't know, maybe he'd be tight with Jim Boylan, I heard on, I think, Bill Simmons' podcast, he's floated out, let's give them Blakeney in a second, and I think that was a little bit insulting. I don't think they want Antonio Blakeney down in Philly, but I think they would like Justin Holiday. He helps with their weaknesses. They don't have to have Markel Fultz on their team anymore, and he's been a big distraction for them. Let's take Markel Fultz. We'll take your your broken point guard. Maybe he won't amount to anything, but at the same time, we don't really have anything to lose. It's not like Justin Holiday is going to be rostered on this team for a reasonable amount of money moving forward. He's a player that will get traction on the market. Let's talk a little bit now about the Bears game yesterday. Uh, that was a really sad game to watch. It started rough. Chase Daniel threw a pick six immediately. And then it looked like we were on top, and then we were on the bottom, and then suddenly we had all the momentum going into overtime, and then Chase Daniel and company dropped the ball three or four times on our overtime possession, and we converted once on fourth down, and then we did not convert on the second one, and we lost 30-27 to to the New York Football Giants in overtime in New York, or should I say New Jersey, where the New York Football Giants play. The Giants are now 4-1 coming out of their bye week, so give them a little bit of respect. But also, that game was so frustrating. The Bears did not create many turnovers, especially off of Eli Manning. Chase Daniel showed why he is a backup quarterback and why he's not the starter. I think if this Bears game was good for anything, it was fun to see Tariq Cohen throw a touchdown pass to Anthony Miller. And it was really fun to see Akeem Hicks score a touchdown, a la Refrigerator Perry. But it made us feel better about Mitch Trubisky, I think. I missed seeing him out on the football field when it was Chase Daniel back there. I usually get frightened when Trubisky drops back to pass, but when Daniel drops back to pass, it's almost like you're glad he caught the snap. And you think, well, maybe we'll get four or five yards out of this. Our Our stretch for the rest of the season is tricky. We get primetime Rams, Niners, Packers, and then Vikings. The Packers lost to the Cardinals yesterday and they are coming to Soldier Field, so I'm not the most concerned about that. But, you know, Mike McCarthy's gone and Rodgers might have been trying to get him fired so we could see the real Aaron Rodgers back. We should beat the 49ers. They're not a very good team. It'll be nice and sunny for us to go after Nick Mullins and company. And this Rams game will be tricky. Trubisky is expected to play. It'll be prime time. It'll be in Soldier, so it could be cold. The Rams did not play great this week either. They got the win, but Jared Goff did not look particularly good in that outing. We could generate a lot of pressure. It'll be interesting to see a defense-first team go up against such a high-flying offense like the Rams. Almost similar to what the Cowboys-Saints game was on Thursday night this week, where it was 13-10 to and the Cowboys won. That game was really weird and confusing, but it kind of showed that if you run and play defense, you're not gone in the NFL today. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Bears-Rams, but I'm saying that was at least encouraging for that game. Uh, and then ending the season in Minnesota will be tricky According to Nate Silver's 538, the Chicago Bears at this point have a 94% chance of making the playoffs and an 80% chance of winning the division. We've only got a 7% chance of the first round bye, which is fine, and we've got a 3% chance of winning the Super Bowl, which is, you know, it's to be expected. We are 8-4, although this week did drop us a bit, As but... It dropped us a bit in the overall standings of the NFL. There were some rumblings. I didn't really want to buy into them, but rumblings that we could challenge for either that. We could challenge for that first round bye if we went out the rest of the season, you know, capitalize against the Rams. We're not going to get that now as we only have a 7% chance of that. But luckily for us, the rest of the NFC North lost too. Minnesota dropped to... The New England Patriots, the Lions, dropped to, I believe, the L.A. Rams, and the Green Bay Packers dropped at home to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, it was such a bad defeat that they ended up firing their head coach afterwards, which, I don't know, maybe it inspired Gar Pax to fire Fred Hoiberg today. They just thought it was in. I also briefly wanted to harp on the... Chicago Blackhawks today Uh, we traded one of my favorite players Nick Biggie Smaltz to the Coyotes for Brendan Perlini and Dylan Strom it's more of a my trash for your trash I don't really know why we did it Smaltz has had a very rough start to the season but also the Blackhawks have had a very rough start to the season he is coming off of a 52 goal season last year and uh, The only reason I can think we got rid of him was because his contract is up after this season and he would have to get paid more than he is currently being paid next season. And the Blackhawks probably don't want to do that if we're going to head into this tank. My only thing is, don't we want young players who have shown they can score on a tanking team? Look, I liked Nick Smaltz. I, I nicknamed him Biggie Smaltz. I thought that was going to catch on, but now he's gone and instead we have... Dylan Strome and Brendan Perlini, and I think one of those two guys is up after this year too, so it doesn't really give me a whole lot of confidence in Stan Bowman. Doesn't seem like a trade that needed to happen. I guess Strome is the big get from this one, but we'll see what he ever amounts to be in the NHL. All right, let's do some daily daps. So my daily depth for this week is actually a feature article by the New York Times. It's called The Insect Apocalypse. And it's a bit of a long read. I think it took me 20 minutes to half an hour maybe to read this one. And it's about the, what is believed to be a disappearance of insect life across the United States and really the world It sounds like a stupid article that you don't really want to care about because you know not having bugs around is kind of nice but it talks about how that could impact the ecosystems and suddenly the whole the whole food chain is disrupted if they can't pollinate the trees and the flowers and suddenly birds don't have as much to feed on and if the birds can't be fed then the rest of the animals that feed on birds can't be fed and then the animals that feed on the animals that feed on birds can't be fed And so it's really this big crisis that could be happening. It's really hard to measure the number of bugs around because there are so many of them and there's so little that it's kind of hard to count them. But in Finland and in other spots around the world, they've started attaching nets to the top of their cars to try and catch bugs while they're driving. Now, the proposed hypothesis for why bugs are disappearing is primarily because they're getting smacked by windshields which I thought was really interesting because I would never think that smacking a couple bugs on your way to grandma's house is something that could be disrupting the entire ecosystem. But it was a really good thought experiment and see this really untalked about thing that's happening in our world today. Again, this feature is called The Insect Apocalypse Is Here. What does it mean for the rest of life on Earth. It ran in the New York Times Magazine last week on November 27th, and it was written by Brooke Jarvis. Go check it out. It's an interesting read. You can get it for free as long as you haven't used up all your New York Times reads for the month, which, I mean, it is December 3rd, so hopefully you haven't used up all your free reads. Otherwise, that's a gross mismanagement of their system. That'll do it for today's episode. Again, we'll be back next week, Instead, I'll be doing my top five sports moments of 2018. It should be an interesting one. Let me know what you think about the Fred Hoiberg firing and the Jim Boylan hiring. I would like to get some other takes on this. Uh, I have tried to stay off Twitter as much as I can, so I don't become bogged down with other people's takes. But the, the one thing I saw was... NBA.com's John Schumann saying the Bulls front office must have really hated the 15 minutes of Markin and Carter gameplay they got this season, and that really resonated with me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Josh Towner Show. This episode's music was composed by Jazzer and is licensed under the Creative Commons. Today's episode was produced by me, Josh Towner, and recorded in beautiful downtown Brooklyn, New York.